From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Even if you don't know the names, Felice and Boodlow Bryant, you know their songs. The song we're going to do right now was written by Boodlow and Felice Bryan about a beautiful spot just out of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And on February the 15th, 1982, this song was voted by the General Assembly of Tennessee as one of their official state songs. We look back on dear old Rocky Top. The hit-making couple is the subject of a new exhibition at the Country Music Hall of Fame Museum in Nashville. And the town of Shelman, Georgia, celebrates the 100th birthday of one of its own with the Boodlow Bryant Festival next weekend, October 11th and 12th. I'll be interviewing their son, Dell, at the festival, and we'll show segments on Nashville's first pair of independent professional songwriters from Ken Burns' country music documentary. Dell went on to make a career supporting music makers and producers as president and CEO of Broadcast Music Incorporated or BMI. It's one of the country's premier organizations ensuring that artists and workers in the industry get paid for their work. He's now retired, but we caught up with him in Nashville to talk about growing up in the home of music industry giants. Del Bryant, welcome. Well, I'm glad to be here. First, a little bit on your father's musical education. He started classical violin training at five and winning statewide fiddling contests when he was just a kid. How, how old was he? Well, he was, I believe, 11, 12, and 13. He he uh, won several uh, championships, or however that should be termed. And, you know, he was accustomed to being down at the courthouse a lot. And there were a lot of buskers and people playing around the southern courthouses. And there were a lot of fiddlers and different little competitions all the time. And Dad saw a lot of music, got an opportunity to play a lot. And, you know, with his classical training and his hoedown training, he became a pretty complete musician. Let's talk about your mom, born Matilda Genevieve Scaduto. She lived in Milwaukee, mostly was raised there, where your parents first met. But but a pretty tough life. Her mother had to pull her out of school in the eighth grade just to, you know, get to work and help the family funds. But she loved poetry, loved to sing. Tell us how she met your dad. Well, mother, uh, during the war, much like everybody else was working multiple jobs. She and her sister were elevator operators at the Schrader Hotel. She was packing bullets at some manufacturing company, and Dad happened, uh, because of some snafu, be out of work in Chicago, where he was a jazz fiddle player, one of the top jazz fiddle players during that period. And he got a, a, a pretty good little sit-down gig with his quartet at the Schrader Hotel. And uh, one night, during a break in their gig that was at the Schrader, he walked out into the uh, lobby and walked toward the elevator, and there was, as quite often the the case is, a water fountain in between it. And as he was approaching her, she saw him coming, and literally has told this story my whole life and her whole life uh, after meeting Dad, that she saw the man she had dreamed of many times walking across the room directly toward her. And he came there, and she said, can I buy you a drink and pushed on the water fountain? And 
as as he was bending over, and it splashed him completely and and kind of amazed him and alarmed her. And next thing you know, she's trying to dry him off and and at the same time telling him that we're supposed to meet, we're supposed to get married. You know, it was just about that quick. And by the end of that evening, uh, Dad was introducing it to his bandmates as his fiance. And what's amazing to me, this was on the day of my father's uh, birthday. And as it turned out, they are now this year celebrating Dad's 100th centennial. If, if they were here, I'm celebrating it on their behalf. And their 75th year of, uh, of, from the day they knew each other, they'll be celebrating that. We'll be celebrating that on the 13th of February with the Nashville Symphony, in fact, here in, in the city. It is just such a terrific story. And, and what came out of that beautiful, you know, in a, in a, it would great a, make a great rom-com meet-cute. That is just an adorable story. But they were convinced they should be together after that. They spent some time in the Midwest and moved back down to Moultrie, Georgia, where his parents were, wrote a couple of songs, and had their first hit in the late 1940s. Here's Country Boy, performed by Jimmy Dickens in 1948. I'm a plain old country boy. A cornbread-loving country boy I raise cane on Saturday But I go to church on but, you know, and this all comes around, and after Country Boy, they moved to Nashville, today recognized as a songwriting capital. But when they moved there in 1950, they were the first independent full-time songwriters in the city. Now, why did they choose Nashville? Well, Nashville in the late 40s wasn't even recognized as even a recording capital. And Mom and Dad came here because Dad's mentor and the first person that they really spoke to in the Nashville community, Fred Rose, invited Dad to come up uh, after he had heard Country Boy. Dad showed him a lot of the songs that Mom and Dad had been writing. They'd written about 80 at the point they they had any success with uh, Country Boy. The song was eventually cut by Jimmy Dickens within the next few months. Fred said, "I've, I've got some royalties for you. I've got $400 now. I can send to you, but you need to move to Nashville. I'm speaking with Del Bryant, president and CEO emeritus of BMI, and one of two sons of Felice and Boudlow Bryant, Nashville's first full-time professional songwriters. Del will be in Shelman, Georgia next weekend to celebrate his parents' legacy at the Boudlow Bryant Festival. Well, so they eventually wrote 6,000 songs together, so prolific, and, and made sure to point out that it was a collaborative process. But a little bit about your memories of that. They worked from home. Do you remember any of these songs taking shape? Well, uh, the truth be, Virginia, I remember hundreds upon hundreds of hundreds of them taking shape. Uh, they They did it right at the house. They did it in the living room. They did it in the hallway, they did it in the kitchen, they they did it out in the yard, they did it later when we had a pool after success, they did it there. I mean, they were in continuous creativity. I'm sure many people who are listening have had those moments when they've created something and there's that you just buzz, you're so proud of it and you want to share it with people and there's a bit of a, you know, a momentary euphoria. Well, that euphoria surrounded our household 24-7. And not only the euphoria of creating wonderful things, but then the the euphoria on top of euphoria when things would get cut or you'd hear them on the radio or they were becoming hits. So it was such a, uh electrified atmosphere of of acceptance, success, 
receiving these uh, these songs through the ether, and and they were doing it all there at the same time that Dane and I were being raised. It was a very close family. They didn't travel. People would say, where would you go on vacations? The only place we ever went was Gatlinburg. I mean, it wasn't like you were planning trips or getting on an airplane. I never flew anywhere with my parents, ever, not once. And they would write in the car. My brother and I have the same memories of songs like Bye Bye Love taking shape in the car during a bit of a rain occasion with the windshield wipers going on. Dad loved writing to windshield wipers. <laughs> nice little metronome there. Bye-bye, love. Bye-bye, happiness. Hello, loneliness. I think I'm yeah, and uh, it, I don't think my father or my mother were capable of not writing during, during those metronome, as you put it, moments. So I remember so many songs. I remember waking up in the morning with Mom and Dane. We were later risers, certainly in the summer. And Dad would say, I just wrote something. i got to play you guys. And I remember the morning he had written All I Have to Do is Dream. He had already cut it on a reco cut. We had a disc cutter that would cut the old big black discs, you know, and the, the, uh, the carbon would come off just like spider web, you know, sort of dark purple. But Dad had the disc and played All I Have to Do is Dream for Dane, Mom, and myself. And it was incredible. But my mother said, Budlo, you could put that out and you'd have a hit. So I remember those type moments. Uh, if a song was written early in the morning, it was Dad, 100%, like All I Have to Do is Dream, Devoted to You, Love Hurts. If it was written after breakfast, they were both on it. <laughs> and uh, for those uh, occasions when Mother wrote, something by herself it was just dad was at a session or dad was buying groceries or she was home alone and the real challenge was to try and remember the melody long enough for dad to get home where she could sing it and he could write it down or, or she'd get crazy trying to find him on the phone at a studio or at Aka Froze and say and when she'd get him she said I have nothing to say here's the melody and she would you know hum something out and dad on the other end of the line would write it down about as quick as a steno a uh, person would be taking shorthand, you know. So it was it was nonstop, Virginia. We have to pause and listen to All I Have to Do is Dream, recorded here by the Everly Brothers in 1958. Dream, 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 when I want you. reading in an interview with your parents much later in their career that your father said they were true collaborators. Don't get the idea she was in this subservient position all the time because she made it her business not to be. And Felice said, your mom said, well, it was tough as hell to be a professional woman in the socially conservative South. How did they make that work? Were they equal partners in this songwriting process? They were definitely equal partners. They weren't always equally recognized. Mother was a strong woman and, and, and vibrant woman of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And a lot of people doubted her contributions or overlooked them. And that's true of so many people with the exception of my father. They were, they shared. Dad never uh, diminished her contribution. In fact, I think in every interview and when he would be telling people, he said, you know, I probably would be a, a drunk and would have never written anything if it hadn't been for Felice. She definitely kept her little but strong foot on the gas of their career. And that's really 
truly what made it work. Dad had the talent, she had the talent, but she had the drive, and Dad had her. Well, that alcoholism certainly was a tension in the relationship. But I'm wondering if they drew on their own romance, their own relationship as inspiration for their lyrics. I think one of the few songs that's really, the story's been told enough, is the title of their exhibition at the Country Music Hall of Fame. It's, it's, it's We Could, which was one of the hits Mother wrote by herself. For his birthday, his 34th birthday, and she was sitting in a chair across from the couch where Dad would like to lie down and work, and they would go back and forth, and if he wasn't playing the guitar, he'd sort of lean back and lie down and rest and listen to what she was doing, and they would sort of kibitz back and forth, and he fell asleep in the couch, and I still have those chairs and couches. It's, uh, they were rattan. I, I'm very proud of those. And uh, he fell asleep, and she said, I was just sitting there looking at how precious he was and thought, boy, if anybody could really make all of this work, even in the condition we are, whether we're successful or not, if anyone could do it, we could. I love that man so much. And she said the song wrote itself in just moments. And just she, she used to say, I can hardly take credit for this. It just came to me looking at Boudlow. So I think that that, you'd have to say, was an inspired song. But for the most part, whether they were love songs or love hurts, type songs or devoted to you type songs or Rocky Top or Problems or Bird Dog or you name it. Mom used to tell people, we're manufacturers. We manufacture all day long. The factory doesn't close. And so they were just pushing things out like sausage. It, it, the truth was, though, their sausage was better than Jimmy Dean, and I personally like his. Well, let's hear that song. Here is Charlie Pride's version of We Could. If anyone could find the joy That true love brings a girl and boy We could, we could, you and I If anyone could ever say that that To my father, it was about making money. He wanted hits. He knew the key was quantity because they were going to write good songs, they were going to finish them. But Magic visited certain songs and didn't visit others. And he knew that the most important song they were going to write was the next one, and then the next one, and that it might take 10, 15, 20 to get one that that somebody would recognize as a great song. So quantity was their, was their friend. They had to work like maniacs. And I'm most proud that they weren't just sitting around waiting for inspiration. Dad said, if you're waiting for inspiration and you're trying to be a songwriter, you're doing the wrong thing. He said, it's like writing a letter. When you write a letter, you sit down and think about it to make sure it's a strong letter and you're saying what you want to say. So they were manufacturing songs. They were working hard at it. And any idea, any kernel they got, they, you know, went after. And they used to say, a takeoff on an old saying, never look a gift muse in the mouth. Because they would write anything that started coming to them. Whereas so many writers, they'll think of something, write a little bit and say, oh no, that's not going to be commercial. And they'll throw it away and start on something else. They didn't know where things were going. The rhymes took them there. The the moments took them there. The melodies took them there. The, the songs came together, melody and lyric almost always together. And 
they just took it wherever it took them, and they made sure they finished, they polished, and then they moved on so quickly to the next song, not not getting caught up or married to any one song more than another. It's amazing to think of what that muse did for American music. Bill Bryant, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, I hope the, the folks that listen to this and in Georgia, we'll come out and see us at uh, Boodle Bryant Day in Shelman. Yeah, he's got so many stories, as you can hear. Del Bryant, President and CEO Emeritus of BMI and the son of Boodle and Felice Bryant. We'll leave you with Love Hurts. This is the Roy Orbison version, one of thousands of Bryant creations. And there is so much more where that comes from. Del and I will explore it all on stage together next weekend, October 11th and 12th at the Boodle Bryant Festival in Shelman, Georgia. You can find details at gbbnews.org.